Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran, and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia, and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, good morning. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to see you. I hope you had a lovely weekend. Now, we have got a fantastic program for you today. Of course, this is all about answering your garden questions and supporting you. For many of you, daylight savings now kicked in, and uh, for most of us, we're in the middle of spring. It's still a bit cool where I live, but uh, that's okay. It's going to extend our flowering season a lot longer. We've got some really good stories for you today. A bit later on, I'll catch up with Mark Tuchek. He's the manager of Tuckerbush, and he joins the show to talk about native edible herbs and fruits that you really should think about growing at home. They are causing quite a stir and Mark's done an amazing job developing the Tuckerbush range. Garden Express will be here a bit later on. Hopefully we're catching up with David and he's got a great offer for this week. And of course it is spring, so I know you're out busy planting, working on your gardens and I'll show you the best potting mix to support your pot plants growth. Now is the time to be repotting. I'll show you why you need to have a good potting mix. Now, if you've got any garden questions or queries, post them in the comments section. Remember, include your suburban state when you're asking your garden questions. Make sure you hit the like button. Also, uh, we've got prizes to give away. We always have prizes to give away. Thanks to our friends at Fothergills. We'll have some packet seeds to give away. And of course, we've got a copy of that fabulous book, The Rose. In fact, it's one of the very last. So you'll be one of the very lucky ones to get your hands on them. So let's uh, have a bit of a look at the questions and where they're coming in from. Let's start with Robert. He's in Langwarren in uh, Victoria. Hello, Robert. I've got a problem with a row of viburnum trees that continue to attract powdery mildew. Now, all of the treatments I've seen contain sulphur, which some experts say um, you need to keep away from these trees. Can I help? Well, interestingly enough, I doubt very much that it is powdery mildew. In fact, this is a fairly common problem. Um, that we're seeing in warmer climates generally or in dry climates. And it is red spider or two-spotted mite that's doing a huge amount of damage out there at the moment. Um, and it gets in under the leaves and it causes this silvering effect. And some people think that that is powdery mildew. So I suspect that it's actually more that problem than it is anything else. Now, interestingly enough, sulfur is actually a good treatment for this. So um, it wouldn't be a bad thing to use. Sulfur doesn't hurt viburnums. You don't want too much. You don't want to acidify the soil, but follow the instructions. Um, the best treatment really for these kinds of mites and, and at this time of the year is probably to jump online to the Good Bug website and get some predatory mites that will eat the, the two-spotted mite. That's the best way to go. Now, very excited. Sue has said she's just received her first Caladium Thai Beauty on the weekend. Can't wait till she shows me her stunning foliage. Well, congratulations, Sue. They are a beautiful plant. 
Um, absolutely gorgeous foliage. And of course, they love it when it's warm. So they'll just get, well, just better and better as the, as the summer comes along. Phillips in Hobart. Hello, I've got a one-year-old peony that I planted last year. It's just coming through now. Can I move it now? Well, really probably a bit late. Winter is a good time to move peonies, but you don't want to do it sort of too late or as they're starting to grow. And being in its second year, you might knock it around if you do move it. If you can leave it, leave it and wait till winter next year. Paul is in Queensland. I'm concerned about the shrub in this photo. Now get a load of this shrub. I'm sure Jimmy's going to pop it up for us. And um, it's been growing well over the last few years. And I know I've taken for granted the large rainfall we've had in Queensland at the start of the year. Will the shrub recover by consistent watering? And what would be a good fertiliser for it? Well, I had to take a really close look at that shrub because it is suffering badly. And it's a croton. They're pretty common in Queensland, used outdoors as a shrub. And in the southern states, we use them as indoor plants. But this one is suffering because of too much water. So what I would suggest you do is punch a couple of holes into the ground around the outside using a pipe, pull some of the soil out and pop gypsum into those holes. Now, this is going to improve the structure of the soil in around the roots and hopefully add a bit of air in there. It does look like it's dried up, but um, what I would do is go back, give it a bit of a trim back, a bit of gypsum, maybe a little bit of sea salt. Definitely don't go watering it too much. You don't want it to dry out to the point where it's too dry, but um, yeah, maybe one or two drinks um, with the hose you know, uh, each week would be enough. John is in Townsville in Queensland. Um, I've got a lot of black ants in my garden, shrubs and broms and other plants. How do I get rid of them? Thank you. Well, it depends on how big the population of ants are. If they're focused on particular shrubs, and that tends to be the way they, they go, um, you can use talcum powder if the weather is dry and that will get them to move on naturally. If not, you are going to need an ant killer, and uh, that usually means you have to find the ant nest. So start having a bit of a look around if you're going to go down that path, John. Nikki is in the Gold Coast in the hinterland. Um, how do I kill my veggie patch of heaps of mustard kale seeds? The garden is chock full. Best way to do it is pull them out. In fact, um, with with the uh, the mustard leaf or mustard kale, um, the trick is to pull them out when they're young and you can use them in salads. It does make a, a great little addition. Glenn is in the Gold Coast. Hello, Glenn. We're staying up in uh, up in Queensland, which is great. Can you please tell me how to kill a rubber tree? Will blackberry and tree killer work? Is there anything else? Um, that's the first question. There's two questions. I'm not going to answer three. So here's the, here's the answer to the first one. Blackberry and trub... A uh, blackberry and tree killer will definitely take a rubber tree out. Um, you want to make sure you're actually uh, drilling it basically into the trunk. It's really important. And um, that'll make a big difference. There we go. We've got a screen. Just come back. Thank you, Michaela. Um, that's the first question. The second question is gardeners are often told not to wet tomato leaves, yet I see where it's suggested to fully fertilise tomatoes. Can you please explain? Right. The trick is not to have too much water for too long. And the ideal scenario is to water in the morning. So apply a foliar fertiliser over the foliage in the morning uh, on a dry day, and then um, the, the plant will take that up and it'll dry out. The key is to not have them wet for too long. And it's not because they get a fungus, but they get a bacteria called Pseudomonas. And Pseudomonas causes specking, black speck. So that's... Um, that's really the reason why you want to avoid it. And Pseudomonas is spread through water. So reduce the water and you should be fine. Michael is in uh, Bentley in Victoria. Hello, Michael. Um, 
how do you stop cauliflower bolting before the cauliflower forms? Okay, well, it shouldn't be doing that um, unless you're running short. Well, there's two things, actually. You could be running short of uh, phosphorus in the soil, which um, you can you can boost naturally, um, or and it's more likely that you're putting too much nitrogen in the in the soil. Now, this is fertilizer, and if you're using a high nitrogen fertilizer, um, it tends to push them to to push out flowers before they really set a proper head. So I hope that helps. Bridget is in Bendigo in Victoria. I sent you a text last year regarding my wisteria. Another season has arrived and still no blooms. Plenty of green foliage, though. Can you please advise on what to do? I love your show. Thanks, Bridget. Um, it's, a, it's an unusual thing because really the trick with the wisteria is to try and stress them, um, particularly at the latter part of the growing season. So not so much now. Let it, let it get a bit of foliage. Um, and maybe you need to give it a bit of a hard prune. And if you're going to give it a hard prune, actually do it now. So it's putting on a lot of growth, so you can thin it out, and that new growth will produce flower buds hopefully for next year. But um, the ideal scenario is to let it dry out to, just towards the end of winter. So if you have a dry, sorry, towards the end of summer, if you have a dry summer and you're moving into autumn, make sure the water's not on it if you can help. If you've got sprinklers, don't let them run around that, that particular plant. Kelly's in Sydney. I have a serious issue with my avocado tree. It's grown from seed. This will be its third fruiting season with not much success so far. Has plenty of flower buds, but the leaves are yellowing. I don't want to lose this year's crop and possibly the tree as well. Can you please help? Yes, I can. Um, we were talking before about red spider mite and uh, avocados are one tree that actually gets red spider mite. And to me, it looks exactly like red spider mite damage, um, quite severe too. So again, head to the Good Bug website. This is how you want to treat this. So you want to bring predatory insects in that will eat those mites, causing that leaf drop. Um, as far as fruiting goes, um, fruiting gets down to pollination. Pollination is generally done by flies. So um, you've just got to let Mother Nature do her thing and hopefully that'll all work okay. Um, but yeah, very interesting problem. Probably not what you thought. Again, red spider mite. There's uh, quite a bit of it around. Jenny's in Forestdale and there's a Portuguese millipede plague currently. Uh, they're eating all your strawberries. Help. Okay, well, there's a um, there's a couple of treatments. You might want to head to the local garden centre um, where you can spray barrier sprays around the outside of garden beds. Um there's no other real easy way, unfortunately, to do this. So you really will need to um, to get that. It's called Cupex. Um, it's systemic, so you don't want it to be, and it tends to be residual, so it lasts for a while in the soil. So you don't want it to be um, anywhere near your edibles because you don't want to be ingesting any of it by accident. Um, but that's uh, it's an interesting problem. Julie is in Perth as well. Hello, Julie. Um, my roses have suddenly gone, got black spots on the leaves. What can I do to get rid of it? Well, black spots are generally um, caused through poor air movement through the roses and moisture on the foliage at night. Now, you can't do anything about that during the day, but you can... Uh, if, if it's on a wet day, but you can if you've got irrigation, make sure that your irrigation is not spraying over the foliage of your roses or that you're not hand-watering them at night. That will really cause a problem. Erica, um, we're moving to Gundaroo in New South Wales. It's just outside of Canberra, and we're wondering what we can do to prepare the soil for our garden beds. Would a green manure crop help? Um, currently, it's an empty ex-farming paddock. Yeah, absolutely, a really good thing to do is to plant out things um, that will put energy back into the soil. And there's lots of different examples of those. So um, you can do things like uh, 
some of the mustard leaf, and that's probably the one that's the most common. Um, but there's, look, there's a whole heap of different uh, green manure crops. And the idea is you get them to seed and start growing and then ideally cultivate them straight back into the soil and that'll just improve the, um, the, the quality. Now, Helen uh, from WA, we've got uh, three or no, we had uh, three so far from WA. It's lovely to, to see you guys. Hi, Helen. We've got two eucalyptus cinerarias, one growing from seed from a reputable seed supplier and the other growing tube stock from a WA nursery. They both look very different. Your thoughts? I think they are very different. I think uh, the one on the right-hand side is definitely not cineraria. Um, it's very difficult to tell sometimes um, because they actually have, well, it may well be cineraria on the right and the one on the left might not be. They're definitely two different species. There's no doubt about it. I can't tell you what they what the, they are at this stage. And the reason is, is because eucalypts tend to have baby leaves when they're little. Um, and then as they mature, they, they develop um, those big longer leaves. So at the moment, they're little round leaves, but later on, they'll become quite long leaves. Um, the one on the left may not even be a eucalypt. Um, it's very difficult for me to tell, but it's certainly borderline. I'd, I'd question whether it is. Hopefully that helps. That's a good question. And it's great that you send your photographs in because it does allow me to have a look and help identify this for you. And uh, that might be um, might be not the answer you wanted, but certainly um, you'll probably get one from the two anyway. Esther is from Melbourne. Uh, when can I split and repot my orchids? Well, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Esther. Um, if you've got Cymbidium orchids, they're finishing flowering and now is the time to be repotting them. Um, that's the best way to go. Uh, if if there's some of the other varieties, um, things like uh, moth orchids, Phalaenopsis, now's the time to actually leave them in their pot and move them into a brightly lit spot because they'll start producing flowers. Hussain is in Melbourne. Hello, Hussain. Uh, I bought three, oh, the three spider lily offer from Garden Express. So thank you for bringing this to us. Now, I already planted them in the ground, but I was advised I should have planted them pretty deep because they were big bulbs. Can you please advise the best depth? Now, the trick is um, is to plant them to the depth of where the new shoot's coming out. So don't be scared to put them in a bit deeper. Um, they really do have quite a deep root system. They're fantastic in hot, dry climates because of that. Um, and as far as taking care of them, once they're in the ground, leave them for a couple of weeks and then give them a feed, okay? And a liquid fertiliser will get them to really start moving and shooting out fresh foliage straight away. Marina is in Sydney. I've got some calla lilies in pots. We did some calla lilies uh, on the Garden Gurus just recently as well. Um, again, thanks to our friends at Garden Express. And they haven't flowered in a couple of years. Any suggestions? Yeah, look, my advice with calla lilies is to get them into a nice bright spot right now. So um, it's all about light with them um, and maturity of the bulbs. So you've probably got a com combination of those things. What I might do is I might throw to my mate uh, David Van Berkel and bring him in because there's nobody knows how to get flowers out of bulbs better than David. Good morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Trevor. I'm really good. Thanks, mate. Bit of advice on Keller lilies getting them into flower? Yeah, you're on the right track there, Trevor, with uh, with good sun. You know, flower, the, the performance of the flowering is based on how much sun they get. And if you're in a little bit too much shade, you get these beautiful, big, big foliage leaves, um, often with the white spots on them. You know, they're, they're delicious to look at. Um, yep. But you get so much foliage and none of the flowers. So the, the sunny spot's the first key. But also it depends on the pot that you've got it in. If you were to buy a, a colour in a 20-centimetre pot, for example, it's probably only good in that pot for a year or two. And then it just yep. can't get the energy levels that it wants out of the soil. Um, as you know, your, your soils are always breaking down. 
Yep. But even if you add fertilizer in those larger pots, um, in the smaller pots, sorry, you, you just can't keep the energy level to a growing color. Yep. So d- tricky is probably to repot them if they're, if they're quite root-bound or bulb-bound in those pots and um, maybe give them a feed with a bit of a controlled-release flower-promoting fertilizer? Absolutely. So like you would with some of your shrubs and things, just up-pot mm-hmm. it into the next size pot, you know, maybe uh, uh, probably not terracotta in this case, Trevor, because it can sort of take a bit of the moisture away and when a calorie is growing, and wanting to flower, it needs regular water, like a bit more often than you might do a normal shrub. Okay. All right. Well, that's great advice, David. You know, speaking of calla lilies, we, um, it is the time of the year to be getting them into the ground. Have you got an offer at the moment going that people might be able to pick some up? Absolutely, Trevor. We've got uh, for the um, Garden Gurus viewers the calla lily ultimate collection on our website mm. at the moment featuring, uh, I think, five or six six bulbs, seven bulbs we've got in this one. Wow. White, black, yellow, a couple of pinks, a bicolour sort of purple tone with a white throat on it. Um, yep. Beautiful collection that we put together just for the uh, for the Guru's viewers. Awesome. Now, let's let's talk about calla lilies because um, I, I used to know them as sandatesia lilies when I was um, a, a young fella coming through horticulture and sort of in more recent years, they really have got that calla lily um, brand. Where do they? Where are they best planted in our home garden? We'd like to have some free-draining soil, full sun as we discussed, um, you know, but a really good free-draining soil, maybe uh, maybe a bit of afternoon sun is probably better than the morning sun. They really don't mind to have that, um, you know, that warmer, warmer temperature coming at them. Uh, the yep. roots go out of the top of the bowl, and pull the bulb into the soil. So you don't really want to plant it that deep. It will pull itself to a to a depth that it likes. Wow. Um, yeah. When it's dormant, we don't want to have too much moisture around it either. So the free draining is really important for a calum. Uh, I've got a couple of varieties in my garden that are particularly good. One that I love um, and gets a lot of comment because of the colour is black diamond. It's It's pretty much a dark, almost black, isn't it? Yeah, there's been a, there's been a few blacks over my time with the uh, with the calla lilies. Uh, hot chocolate was probably one of the first ones, uh, particularly in the cut flower market. Uh, but the yep. black diamond is um, is one of the latest and the greatest, Trevor, and it's featured in the collection that we've got for for the viewers. And of course, the thing with it is that um, when you when you look at your uh, your calla lilies, the flowers are just gorgeous when they're cut and brought inside and put in a vase. Oh, and lasting for ages, probably four to four to five weeks out of a calla bloom if you pick it nice and fresh. Now, seven bulbs, um, that's not going to be cheap, mate. They'd normally be sort of around that $90 to $100 mark. What, what's your deal? Well, our deal is, uh, is the seven bulbs, as you say, valued a bit over $90. Doing it for 45 bucks, Trevor, 50% off. Wow. The Guru's ultimate collection of callas. Good, good deal. I know, I know it's a good deal when Michaela's sitting in here and she goes, wow, good deal, I've got to get onto that. And, and suddenly all the information I'm asking to come up on the screen disappears and she's on your website, gardenexpress.com.au. I can see her shopping as we speak, Trevor. It's exactly amazing. right. She's got the credit card out, mate. That's the great thing about uh, Garden Express is that you can shop online and it's delivered direct to your door. Yeah, so short of uh, a couple of Australia Post, uh, you know, holding up the, the post, we had another three days where they didn't want to do shipping, but we've been wow. in those bulb orders, so tomorrow a, a whole heap will go out again. Um, yeah, so the post's really struggling at the moment, but we package wow. our plants so fantastically that they'll make the distance, 
and we guarantee 100% Trevor on the product that we supply. That's awesome, David. Well done, mate. Um, regularly $90.30, but now only $45. That's an amazing deal. Seven of those stunning calla lilies. And once you've got them, they you know replicate in the soil and you end up with beautiful big clumps of lovely colours. So it's a, it's a really good way to get started if you haven't grown calla lilies before, folks. And, and as to your, uh, your viewers' um, comment before about her calla in a pot, uh, for sure, if you want to lift that out, you'll probably find these little bulblets on the side. So you, if they wobble a little bit, maybe like a wobbly tooth, just break them off and put them into a pot and they'll grow up into their own bulb. But just allow them to dry out, put a bit of telcom powder on it or something, just to, to seal that wound where you break it. But right. don't be afraid to, to make that multiple off your bulb. Fantastic bit of advice. David Van Berkel, thank you so much for joining us again. Garden Express, you guys are a great way to shop, particularly when many of us can't get out and about. Thank you for your vote of confidence and great talking to you. All right, mate, we'll see you next week. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Folks, how good's that? That's a great deal. Remember, if you like this, hit the like button that uh, shares it with all your friends. And of course, as you're writing in, make sure you tell us where you're from, because it does make a difference sometimes to the answers. Like Rachel is from Melbourne. Her dad's garden's been neglected for quite a few years, but they're trying to reinvigorate it. Now, she saw that she can use compost, but once we fill the bin, do we have to wait? And how long do, do we wait for it to settle and to be usable? So saw worm castings. Is, is this an option? Do we sprinkle it or layer it? Okay, so let's go back to the compost bin. Generally, a, a, a compost tumbler is going to take somewhere between sort of eight and 12 weeks to compost if you're turning it once or twice a day. Now, remember, a good compost is a mixture of pretty much 50% green and 50% dry. So that can be paper, dry leaves, um, all those sorts of dry things that are coming out of gardens, usually from under trees. Um, and then the green can be things like your lawn clippings. So they are a really good source of nitrogen and moisture. And when they're mixed in together, this causes them to superheat and that gets them breaking down. Now that superheating is actually all the microbes in there consuming all the green waste, turning it into nutrient. So, um, or into a soluble organic mixture anyway that, that your plants will love. So my advice is that you make sure that you are, um, that you are definitely using compost. So you, regardless, you do need to be using it. Worm castings is a very different thing. It's actually processed manure. So it's just the manure of the worms and what you want to do is just sprinkle it or collect the juice. You can collect the juice and actually put that in um, as a liquid fertiliser. And, and generally, it's a very mild liquid fertiliser. If you put about 10% into uh, 10% of a watering can, so average watering cans, nine or 10 litres, so about a litre or so, the rest of it water, then water it in around all the plants, and that'll really do uh, the world of good. Sherry is... I'm not sure where you're from, Sherry, unfortunately. Can I grow a crown of thorns from a cutting? Um, yes, you can, Sherry. The trick with crown of thorns, which is a euphorbia, a type of succulent, is to cut them and then to lay them down on the ground and let them dry for 24 hours before you plant them into soil. And the soil you need to plant them into needs to be a really good sandy free draining mix. Now, there are some really good uh, cacti and succulent potting mixes. The guys at... Um, 
at Osmocote have created a ripper. And I would suggest you go and get one of those little 10 litre bags of that. Um, pop it into a small pot, probably about a six inch pot, and put the cutting in there. That should do the job. Marika is in Mudgee in New South Wales. Uh, what is the best fertiliser, organic, for roses just planted about eight weeks ago? Well, there's lots of different types of fertilisers out there that you can use. Um, roses tend to want a little bit more. That's the thing with them. Um, and back in the old days, um, the, the way things were sort of done was right about now, the roses would get a good shot of composted chicken manure, believe it or not, and that would give them a good push. Now, that's probably still a pretty good way to go. But when you get into your garden centre, you want to go and have a look down that osmocote aisle because there's a couple of good blends of organic plus osmocote, so controlled release technology. One of the good things about the controlled release technology is the complexity of the nutrients that are available. It's really important that they get a good blend of lots of different types of um of mineral nutrients. Now, the reason for this is it makes the cells a lot stronger and tougher. That makes it a lot less prone to being attacked by aphids. So if you're seeing a lot of aphids on your roses at the moment, it's probably the fertilizer you're using. You need to look at a complex fertilizer and a combination of one of those fast release organics with a, with a controlled release like the Osmocote brand puts out is probably a good way to go. Margie is at Mount Cole in Victoria. How to get a showy banksia to survive? What does it need? Reasonable soil. Showy banksias love actually a free draining mix. They really do prefer it to be free draining. They don't like it to be too wet during summer. And uh, so you really do need to try and put it in a spot where it's um, in a rain shadow or it's going to be protected a little bit. Um, they can handle uh, they can handle semi-shade quite well, so under the protection of another tree. But the ideal scenario is to have a full sun position. If you can do that, you'll get great results, Margie. Rita is in Red Hill in Victoria. We have a grass tree, and I'm not sure if it's dying. It is still quite small, but it has like another head coming out from the side. Should we remove that or see what happens? The grass is at the top. Oh, the grass at the top has gone brown. So that's an indication that it's probably got some kind of fungal rot. And there's a product that Yates produced called anti-rot. And um, I would suggest you get your hands on that um, and uh, you mix it up in a watering can and drench the plant. Now, it may be too late. The growing tip at the top may have already been damaged. But what you will do is knock back the, the fungal infection and that little side shoot, which is a blessing, will turn into the trunk. So you'll end up with a bit of a bent trunk, but you'll end up with new growth and you won't lose the plant. Um, grass trees are a member of that, um, that um, monocotyledon family, so they only have one growing shoot. So once you cut that, generally it's all over. Um, bit of a worry. Now, uh, Vivian, I'm not sure where you're from either, Vivian. You guys need to let me know where you're from because it does make a difference, particularly with this question here. Vivian, I have less flowers on my mango tree. It's our second year of the tree fruiting. Now, if you were in Perth, for example, I would say to you that's because we've had a cooler, wetter winter and it's still cool and cold and you'll probably see that you'll get more flowers coming through a bit further down the line. But if you're in other parts of the country, like Queensland, well, your tree should be well and truly fruited and little little uh, mangoes starting to form. Um, you, you can sort of stimulate better fruiting with mango trees by putting in a flower-promoting fertiliser, and there are a lot of them. Um, but, yeah, I would take a look at that, I think. Tyson is in Baronia in Victoria. We're all over the place at the moment. Um, which fruits and veggies can you grow and cannot grow in Baronia and Victoria. Well, right at the moment, 
there's so many things you can grow. So you can be putting in a lot of the leafy green vegetables. So your lettuces, some of your um, Chinese or Asian um, veggies, the cabbages and so on, they're all fabulous. They'll grow really, really well. Um, but root vegetables are also brilliant. So um, parsnips, obviously carrots. And then the last one, which will start flowing through right at this moment in time, or the last two groups, I'll give you two, um, are the tomatoes, the capsicums and the chilies because small plants will really establish quickly if you plant them now. They're all from the Solanaceae family. And then the, the very last group I'm going to suggest are things that are um, like the zucchinis and uh, uh, cucumbers and, and, of course, your pumpkins and your watermelons. All of those are going to take off if you plant them now. So there's a lot to plant and that pretty much runs across most of the country as long as you're starting to get some warm days. Liquid Blue on YouTube, Sydney's East. Hello, how are you? It's great to, um, to have you join us. I have a building population of green aphids on a mix of my plants on my balcony. I don't like to use chemicals. How should I wait? How long should I wait for beneficial insects to arrive? Well, the the ladybugs should be appearing before your very eyes, and and they won't be active in the morning. They'll be active in the middle of the day. So they are the ones that'll start to bring control over the aphids. Um, there's not a lot you can do except for maybe put up a very brightly coloured piece of paper behind your plants on the balcony. So if you put up an A3 bright yellow or bright orange piece of paper, it will attract ladybugs from a distance. They will spot it and head to it before they go anywhere else. So being on a balcony, um, you might need to be putting up the, the light and getting their attention. Shannon is in Melbourne. Hi, Shannon. Um, I'm wanting to plant some Australian natives in a couple of pots in my backyard. And I'm wondering if you're able to recommend some that don't grow too large and are suitable for Victoria's climate. Well, there's a whole heap of amazing native plants that you could grow. Um, that recently we've finished, we've done some sort of a bit of focus on uh, some baronias that have been released and um, they are just magnificent. There's some beautiful new ones out that you can get your hands on in your local garden centre. Uh, the same goes with those wax flowers, which make magnificent um, pot plants. There's some lovely compact forms and um, and they'll do really well. They, the, the compact ones are the ones you really want to go for. So have a look at those. Michelle is on Bribie Island, which is in Queensland. It's uh just um, just off uh, Brisbane. And could I help you selecting a suitable plant? Oh, we've got a photo. This is great. So remember, folks, you can send your photos through. Thanks, Michelle. Um, we live on Bribey Island, halfway between the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane. Soil's obviously very sandy and the water is very expensive. We're looking at a coastal native type grass that can stay green with very little water and withstand a bit of pool uh, water spray at the same time. Looking at the attached image, um, if you could recommend anything else, it would be great. Okay, well, my suggestion would be that you look at some of, and they're not all suitable, so you'll want to talk to your local garden centre. There's no doubt about it, but some of the lamandras are absolutely brilliant in an environment like that. Now, they're a strappy leaf plant, um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple that would be just superb down there. Have a chat to your local garden centre about the lamandras that perform best in Queensland's conditions because some lamandras don't like the humidity, so... Um, they'll, they'll know the specific varieties um, without any doubt at all. Liz is in Meadowbank in Sydney. I've got a bright balcony. You can hear the phone ringing in the background here. It's okay. We're turning it off. Um, I've got a um, – let's have a look here. I've purchased a – oh, no, I've got a bright balcony and it gets very little direct sunlight. 
um, is rosemary likely to manage under these conditions? Lavender is thriving to my surprise. Well, if lavender does well, rosemary will do well, Liz. Um, that should that should help you um, straight up front um, because those two have very similar demands and they come from a very similar sort of growing environment. Yvonne is in Darwin. I've purchased a blue crop blueberry plant. Is it going to fruit or does it need cold weather? Now, you're in Darwin. Typically, they do need cold weather, but there are some blueberries. In fact, some of the best breeding of blueberries is being done just north of Perth. And it gets pretty warm and dry in north of Perth, and we, our winters are not that cold. They're certainly a lot colder than Darwin. But it's a typical question. I would say if you've bought this in a mass merchant and they've they've had that and just bought them in and sent them to all their stores across the country, it's probably not the right thing to do because blueberries will probably struggle in Darwin, uh, to be perfectly honest. They do need chill factor. Audrey is in Canning Vale. Hello, Audrey. Great to have you join us. Um, I've got a dwarf mulberry in a half barrel. Should I plant it out? What pests could it attract? Um, don't know about pests. Well, look, you know, blueberries can get fruit fly. I suppose that's uh, – sorry, uh, mulberries can get fruit fly. That's certainly one. Um, but not too many. Mulberries are a pretty tough plant. You can plant it out, or if it's a dwarf, you can probably leave it in a half wine barrel. It's probably going to do pretty well. Sabrina is in the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Sabrina. We are just belting through these questions today, aren't we? We're doing really well. Thanks so much for sharing where you're from. It does make a big difference. Sabrina's in the Gold Coast in Queensland. What's the best fertiliser for Bosnia plants that are struggling, please? Now, I'm not quite sure what a Bosnia plant is. Um, sometimes common names can confuse us a little bit. But um, the best fertiliser for any plant right at the moment is going to be a good controlled release fertiliser. Osmocode is a great one, um, and I'd suggest that you go for the all-purpose because I'm not quite sure what you're talking about here when you say a Bosnia plant. Now, if you would like to send a photo in, that will help me enormously, and more often than not, we'll work out what it is pretty quick. Julie's from Melbourne. Hello, Julie. Uh, we had our Chanticleer pears pleached into a hedge. Sounds lovely. And the cut looks quite harsh. There are a few leaves starting, but I'm worried that they might have been cut too hard. They're about 12 years old. So the trick is wherever there's uh, growth that occurs under the main cut, so you want to get that nice pleach. So pleaching is this technique where you, you have a plant scrub like this and then you have like a big hedge that's right up in the air. I'm hoping I'm describing this well enough. Um, what When you prune, often what you, you, you bottom prune, so where you've pruned, you'll often see sort of fresh growth start to grow out underneath that. What you want to do is pick all that growth off and push it all the way to the top of the pleaching. Um, I don't think you can't really cut a pear back too hard. You really can't. So I think you'll be fine. D is in Port Macquarie in New South Wales. I know I'm doing well when Michaela can't keep up with putting all the questions that are flying up on the screen uh, with me. But... Uh, D in Port Macquarie, New South Wales, has a healthy lemon tree in a big pot. When or do I cut it back and do I take off some small fruit and leave on a small crop? Now, if it's a small lemon tree, I would probably take all the fruit off and encourage it to put the energy into producing foliage. And then you get a nice shape and its capacity to actually hold and support fruit gets better. Um, if it's a reasonably large tree, you can pick some off. It's just going to make the fruit larger as it goes. It's completely up to you. Lemons are remarkably easy to grow because you don't really have to do anything with them. Karen is in Western Sydney. I've got a shaded area beside my wheelchair ramp. What can I grow? It also gets waterlogged as the yard slopes down. Right, well, that does present a few challenges. But um, there are some actually some really beautiful um, dwarf 
uh, aces or Japanese maples that are out there that I would thoroughly recommend you take a look at them, uh, Karen. Maybe you want to go online to gardenexpress.com.au and check out their website. Um, but there are some lovely dwarf forms that would probably go in that environment really well. And they, they can be pruned easily just to keep them in the shape that you want them in. Um, but they are magnificent. They always have beautiful coloured foliage, etc. So something to look forward to. Shelley is in Para Hills, South Australia. Okay. Um, Oh, my black-eyed Susan vine leaves are struggling and the leaves are yellowing. I don't water much uh, during, due to being lucky with the rain. Okay, they don't like too much water. That's one thing. They don't like it too cold. And para, can, para Hills can get very, very cool. I reckon it's just suffering from the cold. But, of course, the other thing about um, Para Hills is that it can get very hot once summer comes around. So once summer is, you know, coming along, then def definitely keep the water up to it. But at the moment, I don't think there's a lot you can do. Um, yeah, I'll just let it let the weather warm up and see how it goes. Marlene is in Point Lonsdale in Victoria. I have a grass tree with the grass going brown. Okay, all right. So we just talked about this before. Is it still alive? Does it need to be burnt off? I wouldn't burn it off, okay? I suspect what you're seeing here is a fungal infection and there is a product from Yates called anti-rot. You can, you can literally soak that over the top of the tree and hopefully it'll kill off that fungus before it's killed off the growing bud. Otherwise, you've lost your tree. Um, good luck. Now, uh, to get your hands on one of these amazing packets of seeds, and I noticed that they've got these really cool um, strawberries, and they've got red and white varieties just for something different in the Fothergills range. Um, all you have to do is, in the comments section, share what edible native plants you've planted in your garden and why. It's become the big trend, growing these um, bush tucker or tucker bush plants that produce really, really good, delicious produce. And of course, uh, Australian Aboriginal people um, all over the country have been harvesting these for probably 60,000 years. Um, we're just catching up at the moment, but there is a great thing about uh, these edible plants that are Australian natives. That is that they're a lot better adapted to our environment as a general comment. So they do very well in our gardens without us having to put a lot of energy into it. Now, first up, we actually have David has just sent through um, a comment. Um, he shared what he's planted. Mentha australis, that's the native river mint. So that's a terrific mint plant, very strong mentha, menthol sort of flavour in it. Ostromyrtus dulcis, I don't know whether you know this one. Um, it's, its Aboriginal name is midgen berry. Um, when I was a, a young fellow growing plants in a nursery, I knew it as pigeon berry. And it was because it has these little round white um, berries with spots on them, just like a little pigeon egg. So um, that was quite sort of cute. Uh, that is a delicious plant and a, and a wonderful garden shrub. And uh, David says his boy loves picking the berries. And tetragonia. So tetragonia is the New Zealand spinach. Um, a lot of us grow that. And once it gets established, generally um, it will run wild in the garden and you can sort of harvest it as, as much as you like. It is a wonderful plant to pick the new fresh leaves off. You have to blanch them ideally to get the, the tartiness out of the, out of the foliage. Um, and then cook them with a bit of butter and garlic as a side dish. They're fantastic. Great advice, David. Thank you. Well, speaking of great advice, um, the best thing to do is to talk to the experts when it comes to uh, these bush tucker plants. And one guy who's really taken to it, embraced it, owns it and loves it 
is a chap by the name of Mark Tuchek. Now, Mark is the founder of Tucker Bush, and what he doesn't know about native plants is probably not worth knowing. He's supplying to nurseries all around Australia now, and he knows all about the plants that'll do well in your garden this spring, and also the benefits of planting them. So I was lucky enough to have a chat with him earlier this week. Mark, it's great to have you join us today. Now, look, tell me a little bit about Tuckerbush. It's been a, a bit of a journey for you. What, 2015, you founded the business? Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, well, as you know, I was working at a wholesale uh, plant nursery, Domus up in the hills. Yep. And quickly realised that we were only growing two Australian native edible plants and we were predominantly a native plant nursery. So I thought, well, that's not right. Um, so that's when I started my bush food journey. You know, I went to uh, learn a lot more. I went to visit a lot of Aboriginal people to learn from them and also started to find out different things that were going on uh, which weren't that great. Like a lot of the chefs, top-end chefs, were trying to differentiate themselves and they were doing things like foraging and harvesting samphire out of the, uh, the Swan River yep. and things like that. And uh, it became evident to me that uh, that wasn't a great thing. Yep. And without the knowledge uh, to do things like that, uh, foraging is very romantic, but without the knowledge of when to harvest, without taking seeds and fruit and things like that and leaving some behind, uh, I didn't think that was a good idea. So I was quite fortunate in my position that um, I could uh, influence Bunnings and yep. uh, I felt, well, you know, we're all Australian. Uh, we, everyone's got a lemon tree in their backyard. Why yeah. not have a finger lime in their backyard? Yeah. You know? so, so the more I started to discover, um, the more I was convinced it was the way to go. And so I thought, well, I've got a bit of influence, so I, I, I wanted to put a bush food in everybody in everyone's backyard. But to make these things available, I, I needed a vehicle, and that vehicle was the wholesale nurseries, then the retail nurseries um, across Australia. So that's how it started. Yeah. And so now you've got a range. What this is there about sixty fruit, um, herbs, vegetables in your collection now, or is there even more? Yeah, no, I started with six um, back in, yeah, 2015, and now there's close to 90. Wow. And there's another 250 on my shopping list, mm -hmm. and there's thousands more that us modern Australia really didn't appreciate. So, uh, yeah, of course, it's a original, you know, Indigenous it's a people have appreciated these plants for so long. Yeah, um, it's time that we all kind of woke up to them. So now I had, a, had I was very fortunate to spend some time with the delightful Marissa um, doing a, a radio interview with her not that long ago, and yeah, um, she is she's just one of those amazing people that's so inspiring in so many different ways. Tell me, you, you're not an indigenous business, but no. but you know this is all about respect for our indigenous plants and spreading the word about the goodness they bring and everything. But you, you have worked with Indigenous communities along the way. I have. And, uh, well, as you know, that's when I started my bush food journey, I went to visit Marissa and she was running a, a cultural tour out of Piney Lakes. Yeah. And 
that's when we kind of teamed up. Uh, she was going into schools to talk about Aboriginal culture and I was being asked to go to schools to talk about, you know, bush food plants. So that's when I just said to her, oh, let's just team up and do something together. Yep. And she was all for it. And, of course, we uh, put up on Facebook that we wanted one trial school to uh, for us to come into their school and help educate people. And, of course, straight away we got 60 schools registered on that wow. Facebook page. And uh, it's just gone gangbusters since. So, uh, you know, we've now got probably close to 1,500 schools registered across the country. Yep. And, of course, there's just Marissa and I in Perth running the show. So we would like to empower other Aboriginal people and expand that program. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, COVID, you know, threw us span in the works with all that kind of thing. But... Um, you know, during term, Marissa and I do two or three schools a week mm -hmm. and uh, we still can't keep keep up with the, the Perth metro area. Wow. Um, it's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm really, yeah, well, I'm not a, a, I'm not an Indigenous person, obviously, but, um, you know, actually I employ um, Indigenous people and team up, importantly, yep. besides with Marissa and other people, and I think that's important going going ahead. So absolutely, there's there's some pretty amazing plants too in your collection. Some that have medicinal values that um, you know we we just don't realise the value of the plants until you know one is you've identified them and and obviously worked with with local people to to identify the benefits. But now you're actually spreading the word. Tell us about some of those plants. Well, really, that's where it becomes really. Uh, quite important. So Marissa and I have got an understanding where I'm sure I've had permission to talk about some of these plants, mm -hmm. but a lot of these other plants I don't. So that's when I just leave it to Marissa uh, to talk about some of these plants. And the best way to go about it is really I encourage everyone to go out and walk on country with people like Marissa. And there's so many other Aboriginal tours Um around there. I was lucky enough to go to Kununurra just recently. Yep. And we went out on country, myself and Anne just went out together with uh, Auntie Denise and Collier, and they took us out and showed us things. Oh, cool. And it's so important that um, we ask rather than take. Mm -hmm. So I find that if we're asking and permission and things like that, uh, sharing knowledge comes easily. You know? yep. So I can... The medicinal plants, you know, there is there's a lot there's a lot that we know, we don't even scratch the surface on, um, mm. like native lemongrass, for example. Mm -hmm. So not many people were aware that in Australia we've got our own version of lemongrass, and that's the other sad thing too. You know, a lot of the times we have lost a lot of those uh, Aboriginal names, mm -hmm. and so we have to call it something that European people can identify yeah. with. Yep. Um, but native lemongrass has actually been used as a uh, like a, a local aspirin. So besides being really nice to flavour fish and make teas out of, mm -hmm. you can actually use it um, as an aspirin, local aspirin. There That's incredible. Now mm. tell me, you, you know the the bit that you what you've done, what you've taken on is is a really an important thing in society, I think, Mark. But you come from a horticultural background. You are a horticulturalist. You know plants better than probably most people. 
And the bit that's going to be important in this is taking those plants from the bush and cultivating them in a home garden environment. That's where you bring the practicality to the, to the fore, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of people don't realise it takes me about two years uh, to take something, um, you know, like to propagate it or trial it and to put it in a pot and then have it presented in a garden centre. So mm-hmm. it's actually quite a long process and people don't realise that, uh, you know, the work involved, you know, like everyone would like to have a bit of their own bush in their own backyard. Yeah. Uh, but some of the times it's not really... Um, suitable, you know, some people only have patios or balconies for gardens. And so to make sure that these plants can grow in all these different situations. And also Australia is a massive place. You know, we, mm. we've got plants in the range from far north Queensland to Tasmania to this side of the country. Yep. And of course, not all of them grow. So uh, we've got plants um, over here in WA that Queensland doesn't have available. Mm-hmm. And Queensland's got plants that we don't have available. So it all comes down to uh, a core range that does well in most parts of Australia. Yep. But there's also kind of state-specific varieties as well, that local things too that uh, need a bit more care if you want them to grow. You know. And you, you, your thought processes are quite contemporary as well. I know... Recently, you've worked with a gin maker to bring some some botanicals that are that are native to to the flavors in gin. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a lot of people kind of um, wanting to get into native botanicals, and you know most people have heard of lemon myrtle and, and things like that. But there's so many different plants that people haven't heard of. And I mean, I used to play volleyball back in the days when I was younger and I could jump and. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I teamed up with um, one of the younger volleyball players and he's got a distillery, wandering distillery. Yeah. And Wade had actually won uh, a couple of silver medals and a bronze medal previously, and he was interested in native botanicals. So I gave him some really a little bit more unusual ones to work with, and one of them uh, was the samphire, but it was actually dried down, and so he's used the samphire native thyme, which is really unlike thyme that we're familiar with. Yep. Native thyme is a prostrantha, and it's also known as a, a mint. It belongs to a mint family yep. as well. And, of course, um, the gelatin wax, which you've had in a beer, I believe. So, yep. uh, And also sea uh, parsley. So sea parsley dried down yep. into has quite a, a distinct flavour too. So all these pretty unique um, bush characteristics to a pretty popular drink that everybody could then get an appreciation of those flavours. I wanted to ask you, um, obviously there's there's probably lots of seasonality. We know that um, that there's six seasons um, as far as the Aboriginal culture is concerned and the way that they've they've worked the land here in Australia or worked with the land in Australia. Tell me, what should people be planting right now? Have you got a, a few tips on on plant varieties they should be thinking about putting in their garden here in the traditional springtime? Yeah, well, true. Um, well, a lot of the plants that um, are in the range, they have their own little idiosyncrasies too. So we've got things like um, the warring, which is a native tuber. It's found up in the hills and through the flats here. 
but that's actually going dormant this time of the year. So it goes dormant in the warm weather into Birak. Yeah. So planting it now, a lot of people have a heart attack and they see all the leaves shrivel up, but it's just going dormant. So yep. it's still possible to plant it, but people are going to be aware about uh, it doesn't perform like they would in other plants. Yes. Uh, of course, going back to that uh, native lemongrass, so now that we're going into the warmer weather, that really appreciates the hot weather. So it thrives on hot weather, no water, you know, all these things when it's established. Mm -hmm. So it's a great time to plant something like that going into the warm weather. Yep. Um, there are some plants that actually do well quite well through all the seasons. So we've got a, a sea celery. Yeah. Uh, so not many people are aware that we've got our own version of celery here in Australia. Mm -hmm. And that's a terrific plant because all the parts of the plant are edible. You can eat the leaves, uh, you can eat the flowers, you can eat the seeds, wow. and also you can eat the tuber. It forms, because it's perennial, yep. unlike celery that we used to and we treat as an annual, yep. uh, sea celery forms like a celery-type root, which you can use in soups and things like that too. So that's wow. a fantastic plant to plant this time of year too. I reckon just about everybody just by this point in time has probably got um, lemon myrtle. They've probably got, you know, some of our, our native bush limes. You know, there's certainly a lot of them now appearing in garden centres. Um, a lot of people grow warrigal greens. Um, yeah. You know, they, yeah. these are all plants that we're quite familiar with. They're, they're the ones that you you guaranteed success because they always perform. But yes. it's selecting the, the whole tucker bush range that's, that's going to end up with a, a garden of great diversity. And obviously many of these plants adapted to our environment. Yeah. What do people do with them when they actually get them growing, Mark? Because you've got this great knowledge and Marissa has been sharing knowledge with you. How do, how do people find out how to take these things and turn them into great meals? Well, that's a really good question, Trevor, because I am not a cook at all. Just, <laughs> just ask my wife, you know, yeah. she'll uh, attest to that. But um, really, a lot of these plants, you can actually, uh, if you want to just start your bush food journey, you can actually substitute in things with, you're familiar with, like the midgen berry, for example, yeah. is, is a fantastic plant. So when I started the range, that was one of the first plants in the range. It's not a West Australian plant. It comes from over east, but it's easy to grow, produces a little white berry, yeah. A little bit smaller than a blueberry, and it's white and it's speckled purple. Mm. And you can just pick that and eat that straight off the bush. But the interesting thing that I've actually had that substituted into an apple pie. Yeah. So the sultanas that you have make into an apple pie, take out the sultanas, put in the midgen berry, mm. and you've got a, a nice little combination to start off your bush food journey it's easy to do so i think think um many many years ago um when i was uh worked in the nursery industry as a as a grower i, I do remember growing them and back in those days it was called pigeon berry because the the berries were very much like little tiny pigeon eggs or quail eggs and, oh it's true yeah because they're yeah. white with their speckled purple dots. Yeah, yeah you're right yeah and and it's lovely to see that we've we've gone back and instead of having that european name applied to it we're, we're using the name midgem it's it's great to see us using more of those names hopefully that dual naming will become a natural thing for everybody in the future but it's the work that guys like you and and beautiful women like marissa are doing i think to educate people our kids and and us 
that really makes a big difference in society, mate. And I wanted to, to get you on the show and share, the, you know, I suppose, a little bit of your knowledge, but more importantly, to push people to look in their local garden centre for Tucker Bush and, uh, and start collecting them and adding them to the garden. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. It's great chatting. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. There we go. Sorry. What an amazing story. Um, these guys are doing some amazing work with some of our favourite plants. And you, you've got to understand that in many cases, these are just bush plants that were out growing in the bush and to be able to make them more available to all of us means that we have, well, more of them actually in our environment, which is great as well. So well done, Mark, and all the team with the Tucker Bush Collection. Now, let's uh, fly into a few more questions and I'm going to just talk to you briefly about potting up and getting your plants growing really well. Now's the time to do it. Uh, Pilly is in Sydney. Hello, Pilly. Um, how do I propagate the African blood lily? This is, um, this is a beautiful plant. It's got huge, big tongue-like leaves, like just magnificent dark green. And it produces this red flower. It's called Haymanthus coccinea, and it is just gorgeous. Now, the interesting thing about this particular lily is that it comes from Africa. During the summer, it goes dormant after it's produced its flower, which means that's the time to dig it up and break up some of those bulbs. Now you have to do it very carefully. Um, you'll have lots of little bulbs, you take those ones away, you plant them out, and you'll end up with more of them. Uh, real collectible plant, I just love it. Now remember, um, very important to make sure you hit that like button for us. It's really, really good. It does share the, the, the stories as we're going along with all your friends. Joanna's in Perth. Hello, Joanne. I've got an anthurium that's growing in water and stones in a glass bowl. What's the best fertilizer to make sure it gets all its nutrients? Well, actually, it's a really good one because there's a brand new one out, uh, Pour and Feed, which uh, has been introduced by the guys from Love the Garden, um, the, the Scots brand or family of, of different brands, and uh, very, very good for specifically that purpose. So um, Pour and Feed, keep your eye out for it, really good. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about potting mix. All right. So on the weekend, in fact, the last few weeks, you will have seen the guys doing various bits of potting. And one of the potting mixes that they're constantly using all the time on the show, Nige and Bonnie in particular, is Performance Naturals Potting Mix. This is a brand new brand. Very few people know it yet. It's from the guys at Scott's. It's an organic-based potting mix, but it's perfect for fruits, flowers, veggies. Basically gets them twice as big and it uses 100% natural ingredients. It contains a really unusual form of nitrogen called Nature N, which is fast acting, and um, it's a unique natural ingredient, which basically means that um, you've got the fast immediate impact, but then you've also got sort of sustained growth thereafter. So it's a combination of fast and, and slow um, nutrients. The, the other thing about this is many of the organic potting mixes didn't have a good range of nutrients. This one has got a really good, rich blend of different types. With an organic base potting mix, it's absolutely brilliant and it's perfect now because what we should be doing right at this moment in time is either planting out new plants in the garden, so window boxes full of flowers and you could be putting your bulbs in there or any of those sorts of things, or alternatively, 
um, repotting existing plants. And that's the other thing is that there's so many plants that have weathered through the winter. Um, they've got through springs here. They want to take off and grow. You put them into nice, fresh potting mix now, slightly bigger pot with some fertilizer, and you are going to see some amazing results. They will take off and do really well. Um, I suppose the most important thing with this is that it has a really good organic base to it. But it's also the broader theory that the guys at Scott's are doing that I love. Um, and this is when it comes to plastic bags. So you've got no idea how many plastic bags of potting mix there are out in the marketplace. There's literally millions of them. And all of those bags generally end up in, well, basically landfill, which is a huge waste. And it's obviously toxic. It's not something we, we really want. But the guys here at Scott's have developed a... Um, I'm going to get Michaela just to scroll back up for me, um, have developed a, um, a program through the guys at Red Cycle, um, which basically sees 50% um, recycled plastic used in the manufacture of the bags, and then the bag is recycled back through the Red Cycle program. So we're seeing this reuse of plastics. Plastics, when they get into the environment, are probably not a good thing, but they are something that once they've been created can continually be used as long as we recycle. So this is a very clever thing to do. So when it comes to potting mix and thinking about how much potting mix you need, grab one of the big bags. Um, they, they come in uh, the big 25 or 30 litre bags. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but the typical big bag of potting mix that you would get. Um, when you get your plant, if you've got a plant in a 200 mil pot, look at taking it to a 250 mil pot and filling in around the outside with that brand new potting mix. What it'll do is it'll encourage the roots to grow out into that fresh mix. And this has got all sorts of goodies in it too. It's got blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, which are really important because they're actually encouraging microbial life in the pot. And then you've got some of those rich sources of nitrogen, things like um, feather meal and chicken manure. So this is great. It's a really, really good product. And now is the time to be getting your hands on it. You'll find it in your local Bunnings store. It's a pretty cool cool product. So now's the time to be getting out. It's the evergreen product feature of the week, Performance Naturals Potting Mix. How good's that? All right, now I'm going to get Michaela to scroll down. We have had a pretty big run this week, haven't we? We've done so much uh, over the last hour. In fact, we're just over the hour now. So um, we've, we've got a few things um, that we have covered, but uh, I'm getting, I'm just getting notes as we're talking. If I look a little bit lost, that's the reason is. Um, the Garden Gurus um, has been running, obviously, on Channel 9 each weekend. How have you been finding this season? Now, we're back this coming week with another episode. Here's a little preview on what's coming up. Coming up this Saturday on The Garden Gurus is a really fun DIY project that you can even do with the kids. I'm going to show you how you can create your very own jellyfish planter. So I'll see you then. Wow, we've got so much coming up, so much to look forward to. That's it for today's episode of The Garden Gurus Live. Actually, you know what? We've got one little question that's come through and I will answer it because it's pretty important. Liz emailed us, actually. She's from Melbourne. She wanted to know where she could get her hands on the Wolfgarten thatching rake that we featured on, on the show. And um, that was a, an amazing product. And now if you're going to renovate your lawn, this is a terrific way to do it. All you have to do is visit Wolfgarten. That's W-O-L-F-G-A-R-T-E-N.com.au and you can order online and they'll deliver direct to you. How's that? That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we didn't get to every question. We've had so many come through. 
um, we will dedicate more time to answering them next Monday. Michaela will be sending a message to our seed winners for today's show. Um, the Garden Gurus is back on air and we've been playing each week. It is at different times around the country as all the different sporting events are going on, so make sure you check your local TV guide so you don't miss us. Remember, you can always jump onto our website and catch up on previous stories from The Garden Gurus, and that, that's obviously at thegardengurus.tv. It's a great resource if you want to learn more about gardening as a general comment, so use it for that purpose. And our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv, you'll find all the videos are up on there as well. You can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. And we'll be back next Monday for another session of The Garden Gurus Live at 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time, now that we've got daylight saving here. And of course, 9am for WA viewers. Happy gardening, everybody. Thanks for joining us. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times.